What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the College Game Time Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Smith, and we have a locked and loaded Tuesday show for you today. You know what it is on Tuesdays. It is a Trending Topics Tuesday and a Most Likely Tuesday. So we're going to look at the Week 5 Most Likely Twos for the American Athletic Conference, and we're going to look at a trending topic that's really relevant across the entire landscape of college football, but it also has some implications that impact both the AAC and really every other G5 conference, which we'll dive into here in just a second. But before we do, you know what to do. If you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, share it with a friend, comment at the end. If you're listening on one of the streaming platforms, I would greatly, sincerely appreciate you giving me a five-star rating and then leaving a positive review. The more ratings, reviews, the likes, subscribes, the more of all that stuff we get, the more this gets pushed into the algorithm and the more people it's able to reach. And um, we're just continuing to grow. Even as we've transitioned out of a lot of the realignment talk, we've continued to stay steady as far as uh, daily streams. And I'm very thankful for all of you and appreciate the support. I love the conversations. Uh, I, I just saw an email I got this morning. I haven't had a chance to read it, but it was in response to the episode I did last week about the G5 Premier League. So I cannot wait to to look at that. And, um, you know, it's just, hey, we're just, we're just building our own community of college football, uh, college football community. But without further ado, let's get into today. So what's trending Tuesday? Well, I'm going to get into this Dennis Dodd CFP article. Some of you have probably already read it. If you don't know what I'm referencing, I'll put the link right there in the description. Um, If you're watching on YouTube, it's right there below. If you're listening on one of the streaming platforms, you just have to uh, look at the description and you'll see the article, the link to this article. But Dennis Dodd, the national senior writer over at CBS, he said the college football playoff is expected to keep its format for the expanded 12-team bracket despite conference realignment. Well, That's not a surprise to me because as we talked about on this show, I want to say several weeks ago, in order for significant changes to be made under the current contract, it would require a unanimous vote from all conferences. Now, what's something that's not going to change that would be a significant change to the 12-team format? Well, the model as it pertains to which 12 teams get in. Right now, we have that 6-6 model, which is huge for G5 football fans especially possibly for these next two years, because according to what Dennis Dodd is essentially just confirming with this report is that the 6-6 model is not going to change in this article, he says, until at least at the conclusion of the 2024 season. But what you need to know watching or listening to this, the current CFP contract is not up until after the 2025 season. So in theory, You could make an argument that there won't be any significant changes for two years, regardless of what happens with the pack. And depending on what happens with the pack could determine how many G5 teams get into the first two expanded 12 team playoffs. Because if the 6-6 model sustains and the pack either dissolves or joins the Mountain West, well, now you have two slots that can be occupied by highest ranked G5 conference teams, which to me, that makes it more exciting. There's a whole faction of fans and people who are adamantly against that. That's fine. Everybody's going to have their own take on it. Um, In this article, though, Greg Sankey, commissioner of the SEC, was quoted right here saying, I think the best 12 teams in the playoff are the most healthy. 
And he said, but that's not where a lot of my colleagues are. That's a good sign for someone from my vantage point. Uh, Commissioner Oresco, Mike, Money Mike, was also quoted. American Commissioner Mike Oresco is on record as being against any structure change that reduces the automatic births. Okay, well, I guess he wasn't quoted, but it was just referencing back to something he said before on the record, which is protect the 6-6 model. In fact, he, he said that at the American Athletic Conference football media days um, as far as the 6-6 model. So here's some thoughts I have on this. And I'm curious to know what you're thinking if you're listening or if you're watching in the comments. Like, how do you think this is going to play out? But also, let's look at some things that we've got to take into consideration. Let's revisit something that I've talked about on this channel the last two weeks. And I'm going to have a guest. I'm planned to have a guest on tomorrow's show who's really been ahead of the national media um, as it pertains to this CFP talk and how realignment is impacting that. In fact, you know, a lot of things he's been saying and tweeting, he's been way ahead before, you know, of, of when national pundits start echoing the same thing. So I'm, the plan is to have him on tomorrow um, to have a more in-depth discussion. I'd love to get his take on it as far as how things are playing out because there are meetings set this week for the CFP committee. But what's holding up them being able to make any significant decisions is the fact that the PAC-2 right now is in limbo in this court case. And we've talked about that on here before. But here's my thought, okay? Um, obviously, a lot of these power conferences want to change the 6-6 model, either to a 5-7 model or to a best 12 model. So either just put the top 12 teams in the 12-team playoff or do a 5-7 model so you, you remove one of those automatic bids to create more at-large bids. Obviously, conferences like, I would imagine, the Big Ten, the, the, the SEC, really all of them, ACC, Big 12, they probably all want to shift that to a 5-7 because it allows them to have more opportunity to get another team in in addition to their conference champion. Greg Sankey, on one hand, just wants the top 12 because he knows there's a good chance of getting a lot of SEC teams in. So here's a thought for you. Kind of getting back to a conversation we had, I think, last Wednesday and the Wednesday before that as it pertains to Oregon State, Washington State. Does this yet open the door even more for a power conference to come in and take those two teams in hopes of dissolving the pack so that they can shift the 6-6 model at least to a 5-7. It's my understanding, though, that even if the Pac-2, let's say they were to join the Big 12, until the conclusion of the 2025 season, it would require a unanimous vote to change the 6-6 model. So if the Pac dissolves because those two teams join a power conference, that leaves two slots for the top, ranked G5 for two top ranked G5 champions. I think that'd be great personally. Now, in order for that to change, it requires a unanimous vote, which means if they're going to change it to 5-7, would they adjust the revenue in a way where the G5 could be more compensated? Because in the article, it says that right now the Power Five conferences take 80% of the CFP revenue. So is there a way 
to incentivize the G5 conferences to give up one of those slots to vote to make it a 5-7 model so that now they still get their one, there's still that one slot for the top-ranked G5 uh, conference champion, but you're also getting more of the revenue that's coming from that playoff. Which side of that are you on that's listening or watching? Are you on the side? Do you? Sorry, there was a fly. If you're watching, <laughs> a fly just flew right in my eye. But are you on the side where you want more access? You want the two slots? You want two G5 teams in every year? Or are you on the side where, all right, I'm cool with keeping one slot if it creates more revenue for all G5 conferences, right? Instead of just 20%. What if you could kick it up to 40%? I doubt it gets that high. <laughs> I mean, I have no idea to be honest with you, but those are some negotiating sticking points I think we have to take into consideration or at least think about as we watch this thing play out. Then on the flip side, what if the Pac-2 stays together? Because this is an interesting part of the article where Dodd says, NCAA bylaws state that a conference must be comprised of at least eight members. However, there is a two-year grace period for a league to achieve that number. It is largely assumed Washington State and Oregon State will eventually land in the Mountain West. Sankey, has, Sankey was asked whether they could play as a two-team conference for those two years. In other words, during that grace period, can Oregon State and Washington State function as a two-team conference who technically, under the current contract, has, you know, would, if they were the highest-ranked conference champion, they would be in. And Sankey said, the CFP, just so we're clear, is not the NCAA. And that was it on that. And then it talks about Commissioner Klyovkov. He'll be at this week's meeting. It's not clear whether he still maintains CFP voting rights on current issues. So, but I found that interesting. So, so in other words, is Sankey implying that, hey, just because NCAA bylaws allow you to function as a conference and you have a two-year window, uh, that doesn't mean that holds weight in the CFP. So is he saying, we're not going to acknowledge you? At, you don't get that same window to be considered a a conference for CFP purposes. Like that's, that's the piece of this article that really I think sticks out to me the most. Uh, I felt like when this dropped last night on social media, most people were um, clamoring over the fact that the structural piece wasn't going to change, whether that be the, you know, the format of the 12 team playoff wasn't going to change, but I'm like, that was no surprise to me because it's going to require unanimous vote. So why would a G five conference vote to change the 6-6 model unless they were getting some heavy compensation or, or something in return for that vote. And the only thing they could get in return, I would think, is uh, changing of the revenue split. But let me know your thoughts on that. What side of this are you on? How do you see this thing playing out? Can the CFP ice out, freeze out Washington State and Oregon State? Um, cause if that's the case, then there's no longer a benefit to a power conference, bringing them in just for CFP purposes. I do think this court case is going to have to get resolved in order to really get clarity on who's in control of the PAC conference and, and you know, who has the voting rights. I mean, all that stuff. And a lot of that's what's holding up the CFP from being able to make decisions moving forward. But as it stands right now today, 
The contract is up at the end of the 2025 season. And as of today, it requires a unanimous vote for any format, for any changes to be made to the 12-team format, including the 6-6 model. So what a time to be alive, eh? I mean, we could very well see two G5 teams in in the in the um, first two CFP expanded playoffs, but we'll see. Got got a lot lot to be determined there. But let me know your thoughts on that. All right, let's keep it moving to week five most likely twos. Y'all know how I do this each week on Tuesdays. I tell you my most likely to pull off an upset, my most likely to cover the spread as a favorite, my most likely to cover the spread as an underdog, my most likely to go over, and then my most likely to be CFB game of the week out of the AAC lineup. So let's get this thing started. Who is my most likely to pull off an upset? And guys, I'm going, guys and gals, I'm going with the Temple Owls over Tulsa. Tulsa is favored three and a half points. This game is in Tulsa. It is a Thursday night matchup. I talked about it yesterday. Now, where this could this prediction could come back to bite me is the best game Tulsa's played all season long was on a Thursday night. The most explosive their offense has looked all season long was on a Thursday night. And that was their first game of the season against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Still don't know what's going on with the quarterback situation right now at Tulsa. Braylon Braxton, he's had an ankle issue. He has not played since the second series of their first game. They've had Cardell Williams in, who's shown flashes. But then they've also rotated in their, their third stringer. So, like, I, I, I don't know. Like, the, the Tulsa offense last weekend against NIU looks stagnant. It looks stale. They, they were lucky to escape that game with a victory. I thought we would see some of that explosiveness again. And my thought is, if there's any area I have some confidence with Temple right now, it's on the defensive side of the ball. I know their score against Miami didn't show that, but Miami's a tough team, man. That's a, that's a team that could go compete for the ACC. I mean, there's still a lot of season to be played, but I think their offense is going to be pretty good. I mean, they put up a 40-burger on A&M, so... I'm giving them a pass on that because outside of that, I feel like Temple's defense is held up pretty good um, for the most part. And based off this Tulsa offense I've been seeing the past couple of weeks, I really like, I really like the matchup in favor of Temple uh, as far as their defense is concerned. Now, my question for Temple is, can they establish the run this week? Can they protect EJ Warner? Can EJ make good decisions? Um, I just feel like this is a game where things could really come together for that Temple offense or it could just continue to roll out the same old, the same old, same old we've been seeing. But I feel like they've got to get the run game going and they've got to get EJ in good situations. They've got to put him in good positions. Uh, whether that's play calling, whether that's protection, I don't know. I'm just saying I feel like this is where it all needs to kind of start to gel all right, we're in week five. Uh, the offense has been sort of hit or miss. Like, this is the week it needs to come together. I think their defense holds strong. I think they give Tulsa's offense some problems. Unless Tulsa wants to go like they did the second quarter in week one and go off for 28 points. Um, 
in one quarter, and we see that explosiveness, but we just haven't really seen it since that one quarter, honestly, all season. And that's not just against the Power 5 competition. I mean, that was against NIU. So I like Temple to get the upset in Tulsa. And yeah, let me know your thoughts on that one. Moving on, most likely to cover the spread as a favorite. I'm going Rice minus three over ECU. This game is in Houston. It's at Rice. I think my only disclaimer with this is, is JT Daniels out? Because you remember I talked about it yesterday when, the, when the, the game against USF really flipped in USF's favor was when JT Daniels went out. Because prior to that, it was back and forth. Rice didn't really have an answer for USF's offense, but USF didn't really have an answer for Rice's offense. And then JT Daniels went out, and that's when USF really started to pull away. But if he's out and the backup, who I know nothing about, is able to get a full week's worth of first-team practice reps, here's, here's my thought, though. Like, I don't think ECU's pass defense has an answer for Luke McCaffrey. And Rice also has a couple of other weapons, and they've got a bruising running back. I think this will be a good test. I think the Rice running game will be a good test for that ECU front seven uh, because they'll load up, man. They'll, they'll load up their line. They'll get in the I formation, and they'll give it to this big old bruiser, um, and, and they'll get downhill on you. And then they've got explosive uh, plays in the passing game. Now, again, that's why I'm curious if JT Daniels is playing or not because that significantly is going to impact whether or not this prediction is accurate. But yeah, I mean, I, I like Rice to win by more than a field goal, especially with ECU's offense. We still don't really know who they are, what they are. I mean, I know they just exploded against Gardner-Webb last week, but what does it look like against like-minded competition? That you know, And so... Yeah, I'm going to stay with Rice, minus three, not knowing what JT Daniels, what the status is of him. In fact, while I'm talking about it, I'm just going to, I'm going to Google and see if there's been any news because I don't know if it was an ankle or a knee or what it was. Um, I'm not seeing anything immediately. I'm not going to sit here and search for it though. So Yeah. So we'll see. We'll have to monitor that this week. But that's what I like. I like Rice over ECU minus three as my favorite, most likely to cover the spread. Okay, my most, uh, my underdog, most likely to cover the spread. I'm going to go with UAB. Okay, they're plus 21 and a half at Tulane. I believe Tulane's going to win the game. Like, I believe Tulane's going to win the game by two possessions, possibly. Uh, I think it's best for the American Athletic Conference this year that Tulane does win the game as they are, in my opinion, the, 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 the best hope of the AAC getting a New Year's six bit. I'm not giving up on Memphis just yet. I'll talk about them in a second. But I like, I like Tulane. I mean, I like UAB covering that 21 and a half. I mean, they basically just covered that spread against Georgia. And if they come out with the same fight and the same grit um, against Tulane that they had against Georgia, this game might be even closer than that. I mean, this could be a one-possession game. I do think Tulane wins. I do think Tulane controls the game. But I like the fight we've been seeing out of UAB, and I, I think they at least cover the spread.
21 and a half. Game most likely to go over. I'm going USF Navy, 54 and a half. For some reason, I feel like this game is going to play out similar to the UTSA Army game. If you watch that one, that was a Friday night on ESPN matchup, high scoring game, a lot of explosive plays. Army, of course, dominated time of possession, but they were able to finish their drives while UTSA um, was able to put their points up on the boards in, in, in explosive bunches. Uh, I like, um, I don't know who I like to win this game yet. I think Navy has an advantage in the sense that they're coming off a long bye week. Okay, they last played that Thursday night game against Memphis, and so they've had basically a week and a half, um, you know, long bye week. They had those extra days, so they've had much more preparation. But then USF, man, they got a lot of positive momentum, got the win against Rice. Byron Brown seems to be finding who he is and really taking ownership and command of that offense and that team. Golish is continuing to show that he's making those cultural improvements. As, as I said yesterday, man, they're, they're, that dog mentality that's been missing appears to be back. But here's where you have to caution yourself if you're USF. You don't want to get too high on reading your own press clippings that you set yourself up for being humbled. Because even though they lost to Alabama, there was a lot of positive reviews coming towards USF and how, how tough they played, how physical they were, and how, they com how competitive they were in that game against Bama. Then they followed that up with a big win against Rice. Now they're 1-0 in conference. As far as I'm concerned, they're thinking like, we're going to go compete to be a contender for the AAC now. And I'm just telling you, Navy is one of those teams that you, you don't want to play when you're riding too high because Navy is a team that will, they're known for humbling teams that are riding too high. I'm not saying that's what's happening with USF. I'm just saying that's what I would caution with USF. So I'm not sure which direction this game goes, but I do think it's over. I do think that the explosiveness of the USF offense gives that Navy defense fits, and I think the uniqueness of the Navy offense is just going to be a different look for USF. And yeah, so I'm going over. And then finally, CFB game of the week. I'm going Memphis-Boise. You know, I'll, I'll touch more on this game later this week because there, there is one concern I have about Memphis after that Missouri game, but I want to I kind of sit and think on it a little bit more before I start talking about it. Um, but here's what I'll say about Memphis at the end of the day, and I know I, 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 I shared my reaction to that Missouri game yesterday, which I felt like was fair. And I appreciate those of you in the comments who, who, you know, validated that, you know, I wasn't trying to harp on anyone or blame or bash or anything like that. I was just trying to call it like I saw it. But at the end of the day, they lost by seven points to an SEC team, an SEC team that's probably going to be ranked soon. So like, it's not the end of the world. Memphis is still an incredibly talented team. And one thing about Boise State, okay, is their quarterback, he's not very accurate. He's throwing like, I think, less oh, under 55% completion percentage. So that could play into Memphis's favor, but I guess I'll go ahead and say it now, like my concern is, is what I felt like was Memphis's greatest strength, their pass defense, 
he got exposed against Missouri. Now, granted, no other team that they play is going to have Luther Burden, but still, there were times where they had receivers just running free. And that surprised me. I, my question mark was on Memphis's run defense, not their pass defense. And now, you know, you, you, anyone, college football, pro football, they call it a copycat league. Now there's a whole film session on how to attack the, the weaknesses and the holes in the pass defense. So hopefully Memphis makes the proper and necessary adjustments there. I like them beating Boise. I think that's going to be a good game. I think that's a big game. And then quite frankly, the other possible game of the week, I, I, man, I'm really high on this Temple-Tulsa game. You know, it's a Thursday night primetime matchup. You know, I think on paper, you see yeah, two, two, and two, two, and two, middle of the pack AAC teams. Who cares? No, nah, man. This is a game that both of these teams, I think the trajectory of each of their seasons are on the line this week. I hate to say that in week five, but I believe that's the truth. And I think we're going to see a gritty, competitive game. So that's all I got for today. Let me know your thoughts in the comments, whether it's about the CFP stuff or whether it's about the, the, the slate of games I just talked about. And uh, I will see you all tomorrow. That's it for me today. Trey Smith, College Game Time.